0: Hello, welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and today we have on a very special guest. His name is Andrew Thomas. He is right here in Dallas, Texas with me. And today we're gonna be talking about immigration law. And for a lot of people, you might be surprised, uh, or for some of you, if you've been following me for a long time, you may not be surprised at all at the impact that immigration can actually have on uh, families, on relationships, uh, throughout the years, as I've been practicing, uh, whether it was coaching or with uh, as, a, as a therapist, ha- actually had a lot of people who have been impacted, um, impacted their relationship, impacted their marriages, impacted their family through immigration. Uh, it can be very uh, problematic. Also, when you are going through a divorce, there's unfortunately some people who might end up staying to stay, staying in unhealthy relationships too long. Um, because of immigration and because of their status. And so we're going to break all of that down and we're going to have a, 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 an amazing conversation about all of those things and some things that maybe you should you should do. So with all that being said, I want to, I want to bring in our guest, Andrew, thank you very much for being a part of the show. I'm going to kick it over to you and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started.
1: Of course. Well, thanks for having me on, Matthew. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I'm from the Dallas area. Um I went off to law school in Arkansas is where my folks are from so we started there. Um, this was back in a time when when you were coming out of law school your your GPA really meant something and firms would actually recruit you. I don't think that yeah. really goes on much anymore but um old timers I kind of that was kind of the it way. It used to be
0: the same thing. It used to be the same way with uh, as a therapist too. That, that that's kind of my story. Like it, there used to be now like I mean my thought process is like, okay, you can actually get a therapy degree, like literally online. That's like mind boggling to me now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if law is quite online yet, but it's getting pretty close to that. There's certainly a lot more law schools nowadays than there were. Right. Um, So when I went to, you know, I went to the university of Arkansas, I graduated with a pretty high GPA. So I was recruited out of, um, out of law school to join a commercial litigation firm in Miami. So I spent, you know, six, seven years practicing commercial litigation, which is, you know, kind of the deep end when you talk about the legal field. And that is, you know, throwing you in, we were representing these these top Fortune 500 companies um, with these massive litigation suits, you know, these, these several hundred million dollar lawsuits. Um, the very first one I worked on as an associate attorney, it made its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is, you know, sort of like the Super Bowl for, for us attorneys. Um, so that was really good experience when I, when I first got started. And then, at some point, you have this choice to make. If you're if you're in this what they call big law, you're in these these large law firms that have you know several hundred lawyers. Your choice is stay on that path and try to become a partner, um, which is usually nine or ten year pathway. And then once you become a partner, it's not an easy road. Then you're still grinding, or you try to kind of branch out on your own and see if you can start your own office. And you know the pull of home for me was so big that I knew I wanted to come back to, you know, the Dallas, Texas areas where my folks are from, or my brothers are here, my family's here. So it made sense for me at that point to transition. And I came back to Texas, you know, I got licensed here as well, because, you know, attorneys were licensed state by state. So I was licensed in Florida, got my license in Texas. And I started my office. And, you know, when I started my office, I was taking litigation cases, kind of a, of any type, you know, I had this experience mm-hmm. in commercial litigation, which really translates to trial work almost in anything. I mean, you can, you can then move. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's a lesser field, but it, it's a, a lower, um, you know, lower stakes when you're talking about doing, you know, family litigation or right. personal injury or things like that. Usually lower, lower stakes there, um, less moving parts. you Usually can handle it, a solo attorney, as opposed to a team of them, those kind of things. So, right. When I opened my practice, um, you know, I was taking some of those cases and, and my, my wife, who's actually from Argentina, um, started talking to me about immigration. And it's not really something that I had a lot of experience or thoughts towards. I didn't really I didn't really interact with it too much. And, um, you know, she she knew I wanted to make a difference. You know, I've been I've been doing commercial litigation where, yes, you're making a difference. But a lot of times it's for these large companies. And they're like, hey, way to go. Here's 10 more cases for you. And right. so it's. It's a different difference. Right. Right. Um, so, she know, I wanted to see that difference like on the ground level. And she was like, hey, this is a place for you. You know, your skills would be useful here because, you know, these people are a lot of times under these desperate circumstances, especially when they're facing immigration court, because they're there. And on the other side of the aisle the prosecutors, the Department of Homeland Security. So you have these these ICE attorneys you know, these scary ICE attorneys um, against somebody who a lot of times doesn't speak the language. And yeah. then on the Bench is supposed to be a judge's neutral arbiter, but he's appointed by the department of justice. So it's, it's, a, you know, I can understand why it's an intimidating place and, you know, there's not public defenders in immigration, like there would be in, in criminal court. Right. So okay. criminal court, you would get appointed an attorney if you can't afford one a lot of times, not the case in immigration. So she kind of convinced me to, to do that. And so I took one or two cases just to, you know, see how we did. And Really, when I went in there, I, I did see how the lack of um, really lack of attorneys, but even lack of really great attorneys that are practicing in that field um, is something desperately needed. And that's how I built the business, honestly. It wasn't, it, I mean, yes, we advertise and we're, we're, we're out there, but that's not how I built the immigration section at all. It was going into court, making a difference. And this was pre pandemic. So the courtrooms were packed full of people, you know, not anymore. They're, you know, a lot of times one off at a time. And people would see you know the results we were getting. And as we would come out, we would have people coming up, "Hey, where are you? how can i how can I get a hold of you? I need some help." And so it kind of snowballed from there and and you know now here we are, several offices, you know, a dozen attorneys, fifty staff members. I mean it's it's a big thing, and we solely now focus on immigration,
0: yeah uh, what what would you say are some common misconceptions when it comes to immigration? You know we, you know for a lot of people, they the most that they know about immigration is either the things that they see on the news or um, from a relationship standpoint um, really all they know is is uh, what they see on like 90 day fiance and you know goofy shows like that. so what what are some what are would you say are some misconceptions that people might have about it?
1: Um, a lot of times when I when I'll read things online, um, I'll see you know, hey, if you, if you just come through the Southern border, they're just giving you all these things. Look at this. People are just coming in. You're getting these. That, that's not the reality. The reality yeah. is they they're facing some pretty, um, tall odds, you know, cause they come here. Yes. A lot of them will come in. Um, and a lot of them are fleeing desperate circumstances. They're not given anything. They are given paperwork for a court date for a deportation and they are being tracked. So a lot of times they're being tracked by, um, an ankle monitor, Um, A lot of times they're given, you know, a cell phone, a tracking cell phone that if that ever goes offline, they will come get them. They'll track them. Um, So they're not, they're not handed anything and they have to put the work in. And there are deadlines that they have to meet that if they do not meet these deadlines, it has very um, serious consequences on their ability to not only um, stay in the country, but to be successful here. And so I think that's a big misconception. People think you just they come in and they're like, oh hey here you go here's 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 your work permit here's your housing um, not the way it
0: works yeah what about um what about people who might I mean obviously you and I are here in Texas, so we we're very familiar with like the southern border what about people who might come in from Canada or from uh, from other uh, other entry points um, are there um, other problems, or are are those problems different, or are they similar? Are they the same? What what's um what might be unique with those with that type so, of thing
1: So yeah, I mean it's a good question. It depends on their circumstances of entry. So obviously somebody coming in with a visa of some sort has a very different experience than somebody that's presenting themselves at a port of entry and saying, "I'm going to be killed in my country if you don't let me in. I'm I'm being threatened. I'm being tracked. I'm." you know, I'm a witness against these cartels or whatever it is and they want me dead. You got to let me in. That's very different than say someone coming in with a work visa or um, a student visa or a tourist visa or something like that, that they get into the country. Now they still have to comply with immigration laws. Like their visa has certain stipulations. Like if you're here on a tourist visa, you're obviously not supposed to legally work because you're here for tourism. If you're on a student Mm -hmm. visa, you know, you have to stay in school. Um, so they have to, comply with those things, but their circumstances are very different. Say if they end up getting married, they meet somebody, get married to a U.S. citizen, their procedure is going to look very different than somebody that came in
0: without any inspection,
1: they call it, without um, legal entry.
0: Yeah. So, um, let's say, you know, so this happened more, I mean, enough that I I would have an immigration lawyer, you know, on a podcast, uh, so in terms of people dating. Um, I've had a lot of people who end up dating someone who, um, who may have, uh, who may have migrated here. Mm -hmm. Um, and from time to time, those relationships might go sideways and they become very, very problematic or they can become very problematic. Are there some like potential warning signs that, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with dating someone who may have migrated here, but are there certain, warning signs that people might be able to look out for that maybe this person might have some, um, either bad intentions that they're being, that you, that the person might be being used or, um, you know, that they, you know, that they could end up getting deported, things of that nature. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, what are, what might be some warning signs that people can look out for?
1: So immigration has these certain safeguards that are kind of set up to guard against that a little bit. Um, it's, it's hard to look into everybody's personal relationship because, every I mean, as you know, everyone's right. so different. I mean, people get into relationships um, here that other people would think were maybe crazy over here. So it's hard to look into everybody's personal situation. But immigration does have some safeguards. Um, if, for instance, if somebody enters the country, right, and you come into the country on a visa and within 90 days of you coming in, say, on a tourist visa, you get married to a U.S. citizen and you want to start your paperwork there's a presumption that that's a fraudulent marriage because wow. you were not supposed to enter the country on a tourist visa. If you were intending to get married, there's something okay. called a fiance visa that you should have applied for to come over here. So, so that's step one, these, these, you know, quick trigger marriages after right entering into the country. I mean, that it looks really suspicious. So they have that. Secondly, if that's not the case and somebody does come here and maybe they're here for a long time, but then they meet somebody and they get married, And within two years they're filing for paperwork so what they're going for is something called um, permanent residency in the united states but if they're filing it within two years of a marriage they're only going to be granted what's called a conditional residency and that is only good for a two-year period so they'll have an interview and they're they're going to sit there side by side with their spouse they're going to ask them a lot of questions Um, sometimes they'll even separate the two and ask simple questions like what kind of toothpaste does your partner use? If you live with them, you should know these questions. And they'll ask some very intimate questions. You know, I've sat in dozens of these, hundreds of these interviews. Yeah. And they'll, they'll really make sure that you know who your partner is. And if granted that, it's good for two years. After two years, they're going to come back again and say, are you still married? Okay, so what's happened in those two years now? And they'll sit them for another interview. So they have these safeguards sort of set up to you know, try to weed out some of the the more fraudulent or or things that just look suspicious.
0: Yeah. What about um, when it comes to having, uh, having children? I I know that's something that's been in the news and, um, you know, maybe there's some misconceptions there, but uh, are there some safeguards there as well? Or what's, um, what's the truth behind having children?
1: There's definitely um, misconceptions, I would say on that one. I, I, you know, You'll come across some terms like anchor babies and things like that, where maybe people come into the United States and the the public uh, information might be that someone comes in, has a baby. Well, they're safe here now and now they're going to be taken care of. That's that's not the case, because if somebody comes into the country, you know, without inspection, as we call Mm -hmm. it, doesn't come with a visa, they just come across the border, either caught or not. They come into the country and they have a child. Yes, their child's a U.S. citizen. But when the child turns twenty one, they are an eligible petitioner for their parents. But the problem here is the parents have unlawful presence in the United States. So they already have this immigration bar on their record that's going to prevent them from becoming a resident. Mm -hmm. So the only remedy to that is for them to either a move outside the country and stay for 10 years, serve out the penalty or b have some kind of a qualifying relative that can help them file a waiver child can't help with that. They are not a qualifying relative. So that, that term anchor baby is not a legitimate term. That is a, you know, it, it's thrown out there, you know, sort of a derogatory term, but it, it's not in reality,
0: the truth. Yeah. Uh, and now kind of want to flip the roles, um, you know, a little bit, uh, because one of the things that I also see that I, I, I've seen, I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of horror stories as well, is someone who might have migrated here and, you know, with good intentions, they start dating, maybe they get married. Uh, and then the person that they're married to who might be a U.S. citizen is either abusive, um, controlling, toxic, and then kind of dangling that over their head. The fact that, you know, that they're here, maybe they're here illegally, maybe they were here legally, and then they allow for some for paperwork to expire, things like that. Um, and so then they're reluctant to go through a divorce and they're trying to avoid court, things like that, and still giving that, that person ultimate control and allowing them for them to continue to be abusive. What what should people do in those type of situations? Is there anything that they
1: can do? Absolutely. Um, so there's something called the Violence Against Women's Act. So VAWA, V-A-W-A. And that's specifically for spouses of U.S. citizens or residents who have suffered abuse. And that can be Physical abuse, obviously that's easier to see, right? You can see usually there's maybe a medical report, police reports, those things, but it's also a mental or psychological abuse can qualify for this. If you can show that, you know, your partner has been abusive to you, you can apply for this VAWA. So not only does that help to, um, you know, kind of parole you into the country. So if you had an illegal entry, that would fix that. But then you can self-petition for residency. You don't need the help of your partner. If you've been able to prove that, you're the victim of this abuse. You know you've suffered these injuries. Um, you've had hardship because of these things. You can move towards residency and ultimate citizenship based on that abuse. So they don't want people ultimately to be stuck in these um, these bad situations and, and essentially, you know, or lack of a better term, being blackmailed to stay in a relationship and and have this held over their head. They don't want that. They want crimes reported. They do not want people's immigration status to. Um, be a deterrent for them to come report crimes. And, you know, that, that goes out it, without the context of marriage as well And something called a U visa. And that's for people that just suffer, you know, the, the victim of a crime, not necessarily in a relationship, but even if they're um, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, and they're suffering this abuse, they can, they can move towards a U visa because they want them reporting those crimes. They don't want them to be scared of immigration status because their goal is to get bad people off the street.
0: Yeah. And what? Uh, so, in what direction would they go in? If, if would they speak to an immigration attorney? Would they go to a divorce attorney? Could they go to either or? How does that? How does that work?
1: So that would be an immigration issue, solely mm-hmm. an immigration issue. Um, their their marital status. If they're going towards a VAWA, their marital status is not that important. I mean, they either have to file it while they're married or within two years of a divorce. So Mm -hmm. they don't have to stay married to, well, I got to stay married to get this vow. And they can file for divorce on the, on the side over here. It doesn't matter as long as we're filing that immigration process within two years of their actual divorce decree being signed.
0: Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's definitely some good news for a lot of people who I'm sure are listening because, uh, it's, uh, going into this field, it was something I was a little surprised about that, you know, people were, um, you know, when you start getting into people's personal details on, um, people's, there's a lot of reasons why victims of abuse are reluctant to come forward, but that happens to be a a large part of it. Um, you know, in a lot of situations.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, it's sad to see, but you know, the, the clientele that we have, a lot of times they are victimized. It's a victimized clientele. Um, but, these programs help quite a bit. And I think the big part of it is just getting the knowledge out there because yeah. so many of them will come to us and that's where they'll say, you know, hey this this awful thing happens and we're saying, "Oh my gosh, you know, did you report this?" No, I didn't report it because I was afraid they were going to pick me up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just a it's just a lack of public knowledge on these issues. So, we do the best we can in getting the knowledge out, but it's
0: just still just still lacking in the community for sure. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, it has been an absolute pleasure. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to immigration and obviously uh, several other forms of law. And I'm I'm sure that a lot of people have learned a lot. If you're listening to this, it doesn't matter if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on uh, Spotify or Apple. Make sure you guys go down to the comment section down below. Let us know things that you may have learned from Andrew. Let us know some things that you learned from this episode. Um, and if you are in the Dallas area, if you're in Texas, if you're in Texas at all, or you you have practices in other States as well, you said, right?
1: Yeah. So we're, a, we're a federal immigration law practice. So we help clients all over the United States now.
0: Okay. So make sure you guys contact Andrew. If you guys have questions, if you guys have, uh, concerns with, uh, with your status, with the status of someone that you care about, uh, he is a great resource, him and his firm, uh, all of his information will be in the show notes down below. Uh, Andrew, if you could also just share with people uh, where they where they can find you at, because uh, I know we found you on Instagram and really enjoy your content. You have a lot of videos, and I'm not sure if you're on TikTok, but just share with people your handles and where pe- people can find you at.
1: Yeah, so we're on we're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We're all at the same handle. It's at AttorneyAndrewThomas. You can find a little more information about our firm at our website, attlaw.com. Dot com. There's all of our attorney profiles and it's also a good resource for actual immigration stuff. We, we post a lot of things about the law that it's just a, a wealth of knowledge on there as well.
0: Well, thank you very much. And again, for those of you who are listening, make sure you guys send Andrew a thank you. Make sure you guys give him some follows on Instagram, on TikTok, on all of his social media handles, on wherever it is that you take in content. With all that being said, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Andrew. And we will see you guys in the next episode. You guys have a great one. Thanks, Matthew.